let us go across to the other side. Jesus' words had to evoke some amount of anxiety and stress when the disciples heard this because they weren't used to going across to the other side. They had no objection to going out on the water. They were fishermen, after all. But they were used to going out in their boat, casting their nets, catching some fish, and coming back to the place where they launched from, not going across the sea. Because across the sea was the land of the Gerasenes. Across the sea meant leaving their home territory, going someplace completely unfamiliar, someplace totally other, and they felt afraid of what they did not know. I'm Kim Seedman. I'm the priest and the executive director of Cathedral Ridge. It is your camp and retreat center just a couple hours from here, just outside of Woodland Park. And I've been so blessed these last 15 months to be a part of your online worshiping community, fed by the liturgy and the preaching here at St. John's. And it is such a gift to be with you here in person. I think this phrase that Jesus says, let's go across to the other side, catches my attention as I read the gospel this morning because of my context at camp. The last couple of weeks, we've been in intensive summer staff training, gearing up for our family camps that begin in a couple of weeks. And we've spent a fair amount of time out on our ropes course. And if you know anything about ropes courses, you know that they're usually low elements and high elements. And low elements are those elements that happen on or very close to the ground. There's no safety equipment that's required. And high elements, well, they're 30 or 40 feet up in the air. They're platforms and trees and utility poles and tall towers. And participants need to gear up in a harness and a helmet, and they're belayed for safety. And so when I hear the phrase, let us go across to the other side, all I can think of right now is our challenge course. <laughs> so for instance, one of our low elements, I can imagine our swinging log. And so this is a very long log that is suspended in between two trees and just a few inches off the ground. But the object is to get your team from one side of the log to the other and no one touches the ground. And so let us go across to the other side might invite the participants to feel excited and curious about how they're going to problem solve this challenge together. Now, if you're on a high element, let us go across to the other side probably evokes an entirely different visceral response. <laughs> now, even though you're in your harness and you're in your helmet and you're being belayed, you have to call up that courage deep within yourself to trust that the equipment and the staff are there to support you and hold you as you step across the expanse, that rope bridge that will carry you to the platform, also 30 or 40 feet in the air just across the way. Let us go across to the other side. Ropes courses are, are grounded in this sort of human psychology that we tend to operate out of one of three zones. There's our comfort zone, where we're just perfectly at ease, we're perfectly relaxed, we're in our known comfortable world, nothing really too challenging is being asked of us. It's where you like to be. 
And then there is a growth zone. This is the optimal place for human development. This is when there's a little bit of anxiety. There's a little bit of stress. There's something new in front of you to learn, to challenge, to grow. And then there is what's called the danger zone. And that is when life happens and you are absolutely overwhelmed and your evolutionary response kicks in a fight or flight or freeze. Your body is concerned about nothing but keeping you alive. And it strikes me that Jesus, in inviting the disciples to go across to the other side, he is inviting them to inhabit that growth zone. And actually, a lot of time spent with Jesus is spent in this growth zone. You don't, get, you don't get to spend a whole lot of time in your comfort zone if you are with Jesus. He's always nudging you out beyond. And just that act of going across, that word across indicates a journey, that you are going into this liminal space, and liminal spaces crossing over from something here to something over there are always ripe with possibility for transformation. And I've found that actually that capacity for transformation is directly related to the amount of risk that is involved in the crossing. There was a lot of risk involved that day in crossing the Sea of Galilee. Bodies of water in scripture, and indeed in most of ancient literature, they are symbols of chaos. Fishermen really didn't know how to swim. There was not a lot of knowledge of what lurked underneath stories of sea monsters and leviathans, storms that could arise out of nowhere and, and drop your ship into splinters and send the passengers into the fathomless deep. Just getting out on the water over the chaos is an invitation into the growth zone. And sure enough, then, even in the middle of the water, a storm arises, and they are pushed immediately into the danger zone. They are in a full-blown panic, not sure if they're going to make it through the night. And they do the only thing they know how to do. They wake up Jesus, who somehow is sleeping through this, and says, wake up, don't you care that we're perishing? And Jesus wakes up and says, peace, be still. And the storm immediately stops. The chaos is calmed. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and says, are you all right? No, actually, he really doesn't do that. No. He says, why are you afraid? Have you no faith? Now, Mark's Jesus is never known for his pastoral response. He's never been a model for pastoral care, but this seems even particularly harsh, even for Jesus. Because I see what the disciples did as a profound act of faith. What we know now about fear is that it is not rational. You don't choose it. You just are afraid or you are not. And they did the only thing that they knew how to do. They took their tiny little mustard seed of faith and they turned to Jesus and they said, do something, don't you care? And Jesus responded, I don't know a greater act of faith than that when we are absolutely terrified and in the midst of chaos. Because if you have experienced, when you have experienced, and if you have ever seen someone experience, uh, be the recipient of horrific news. 
when they can find the words to speak, what are some of the first words that well up within them? Oh, God. Or Jesus Christ. Now, I was raised in a church that said that is taking the Lord's name in vain, but I beg to differ. I beg to differ. Because to me, in my, in my observation, it seems that even people who claim no faith, when chaos overwhelms, when you are pushed into that danger zone, when you know that you are beyond all your resources to do anything about the situation, there is something deep in our unconscious spirit that can't help but well up and say, oh, God, and cry out to the only one, the only one who has the possibility of doing anything about it. Save us. Don't you care? And Jesus speaks peace and stillness. In the book of Job this morning, we hear the tail end of the story for 38 chapters, Job has been making his case to God for how unjust his suffering is, that there is nothing that he ever could have done to deserve the tremendous amount of loss that he has suffered. And God finally speaks and speaks out of the whirlwind. And God is just about as pastoral as Jesus was to the disciples in the boat. He says, who are you to question me? How dare you? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And Job is actually silenced and actually finds solace that God responded. And I find this so interesting, but it bears out truth again and again and again in Scripture and in people of faith that God never seems to give an answer for what happens and hardly ever resolves a situation the way we might want it resolved. But God does eventually speak, and for some reason that presence and that word and that calm is enough. It's enough. And it actually grows faith. And here's how I know that, because in a couple of chapters, the disciples are going to be out on the water again. And this time they're going to be in a boat without Jesus. But they're going to see Jesus coming to them from across the water, and they're again terrified. But Jesus calls out, and Peter says, is that you, Master? And Jesus says, yes. Peter says, if it is you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus says, come. And you know what? What does Peter do? He steps out of that boat onto and over the waters of chaos because he learned that night in the storm that Jesus is indeed Lord of the chaos and can bring stillness into any situation. And Peter and all the other disciples, they grew that day, they matured in their faith, and they kept going across to the other 
side. We have been for at least these last 15 months in some period of crossing, bearing some measure of absolute chaos. And there were some days when we weren't sure we were going to make it. And I hope that out of the depths of your being that you cried out and you felt the presence of God be with you in the midst of the chaos because I have found that peace comes. It is not, it's not the absence of conflict in faith. It is the presence of God in the midst of the storm. And it is enough. So is fear the opposite of faith? No. Fear can be a catalyst to it. Whenever you are afraid, cry out and keep crying out and trust that God hears and will bring peace and stillness. And your faith will grow. Amen.